from the campus of Stanford University, this is Schools In. They believe that what we're being told is everything they need to know, and they just pay attention to that. You actually have to teach the teachers how to teach for innovation. With your hosts, Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. Welcome to Schools In. I'm Denise Pope, Senior Lecturer with the Graduate School of Education here at Stanford, and I am with my co-host, who is the Dean of the Graduate School of Education, Dr. Dan Schwartz. Denise, oh my lord, it's math again. <laughs> yes, exactly. No, this is I'm excited about this. This is the math fun this is the fun math show. So uh, there's two guys walking into a bar talking math. No, it's, it's, kind of fun. <laughs> it's not. Come on. No, we're going to have fun today. So let me ask you this, Dan. Do you consciously think about math every day? Kind of depends on what counts as math. So I'm, I'm trying to take a shortcut through a field and I choose the right diagonal. Does that count as math? Totally. I but would I, say it's yes. Not like, it's not like I'm sitting there going A squared plus B squared equals C squared and you're not doing the actual calculations in your head. Well, some something in my head's doing it. Yeah, so, no, it's not something. like I wander off in the wrong direction. Right. My family mocks me about this. Okay? okay. Okay. We have leftovers. This happened like last night. We have leftovers. I have to pick the Tupperware dish to hold the remains of the leftovers. I'm wrong almost every time. I will take out something and they'll say there is no way it's going to fit in there. Huh. Or that's way too big. What are you thinking? Do they suggest you get out like a yellow pad of paper? <laughs> And you sort of weigh things and measure volume. Calculate the volume. No, I just don't – literally some people can do this in their head. I kind of like you walking through the yeah. field. It would take me a while to figure out is it shorter to go that way or that way. I, I'm not saying I'm math anxious like we had other people on the show who talked yeah, about yeah. I just – it's not intuitive for me. So you may be volume disabled. I think I'm, I think I am volume disabled. Yeah. Does that count for loading the dishwasher too? Also, not good at well, loading the dishwasher. Because it's just you sit there and you look at it and you think all the plates will fit. I do. And I really try to make them fit. It just doesn't work out. So let, let me ask something more in the space of what people think of as math, which is symbols. Okay. Right. So when you took algebra, do you happen to remember what thing you learned in algebra that seemed the most useless of all things? Algebra. This is what I remember of algebra. Some X squares, some Y thirds, you know, like <laughs> add them together, find the variable. That's We're talking uh, a long time ago. When, yeah. I, when I lived in Alaska, I sort of taught everything. But I taught algebra every year and I, I kind of followed the textbook. You know, I just do it in the order. And, and there was this one formula that we would spend weeks on. And it was uh, – we'll see if you recognize this. Oh, it's yeah. x equals negative b plus or minus the square root of b squared minus 4ac over 2a. Oh, yeah. Uh, of course. Of course I recognize that. <laughs> that is the – we have no idea. I have no idea what that uh, is. It's the quadratic formula. Oh, and I so, have heard of the quadratic no, formula. No, I know. I've still – you know, I, I actually do engage in math in my job, uh, in formal math. And I've, I've yet to find a place where I've used this formula. Oh, and, it's, and you spent all that time teaching those poor children that. Yeah, and so, you know, maybe I was teaching it so they could learn to be disciplined. You know, no, and, oh, and, that and, is so – no. No, you don't think you learn math to be a better thinker. Well, that's a little different. Oh. I, yeah, but maybe not that, that equation. Well, you know, it, it was discipline. That's a lot of different letters that you have to keep in mind. <laughs> I think we should. So, so, so today we're, we're lucky because we're going to have someone who will explain to us what counts as math and how the demands of mathematics have changed 
for the contemporary times. So I'm very pleased to welcome Keith Deflin, who is a mathematician at Stanford. His research focuses on the use of different media to teach and communicate mathematics. He has a particular interest in video games for teaching math. Uh, and he's participated in and contributed to policy discussions regarding what you need to know in math today. But those of you who are public radio aficionados may recognize his voice where he's the weekend editions math guy. And Yay. his license plate goes math space GY. So welcome, Keith. Hi, good to be here. Welcome. Thanks for having me. So has math changed or not has math changed, but has the needs of what you need to know to use math effectively in the current times. Well, first of all, this, what we might call the content of mathematics, that's changed throughout history and it's continually changing. Uh, it's, you know, we, we tend to think of mathematics in, in, in connection with the ancient Greeks and geometry and so forth. That was then. Things have happened since then. It's always grown. And it grows essentially in response to the, the way the world grows. As society grows, the mathematics grows. In the 19th century, 18th, 19th century, chemistry and then physics drove mathematics. In the 20th, 21st century, a lot of the driving force is coming from biology and also because of the availability of, of vast amounts of computing power. A lot of mathematics is developed through the needs of commerce and society and the World Wide Web, etc. So the content stuff has always changed. By and large, throughout almost all of history, how mathematics was done only changed twice. It changed with the invention of the printing press. It changed dramatically. Textbooks changed the way they were written, the way they were read, the way it was communicated. That changed dramatically through the printing press. The digital computer and the things we've done with it, that's the second time when the way maths has been, is done has changed. So there's these two breakpoints where the way people did mathematics changed absolutely dramatically. I go to my cell phone and I type in 2 plus 6 and it tells me 8. Is that what you have in mind or are you thinking something that on That on steroids ah. because you can go to your cell phone <laughs> and if it's connected to the web because you do need to be in the cloud, your cell phone, if it's a reasonably good one, and a smartphone, it will answer almost any undergraduate mathematics exam question that was given to students in the 60s and 70s and 80s. So when I, if I pulled out, if I've still got them, all my own degree exams from King's College London, my iPhone would now answer 95% of those questions, at the very least with a B or a B plus. It would answer them in a fraction of a second, which it took me longer. <laughs> it would answer them with almost never any error. I used to make errors. So because of technology and the, and the things it's done, any mathematics which involves executing a procedure, by definition, if it's a procedure, it can be coded. If it's coded, it can be done faster, better, quicker. I was very challenged to do more than three or four variables in an equation. You can throw a hundred variable equation, a million variable equation, your phone will still give you the answer. That has changed the game so much that in fact, it makes no sense, A, to teach people how to do those complex procedures because we are very poor at doing them. And it makes no sense testing them to see whether they could do that because no one in the business does that anymore, which is not quite the same as saying you don't need to teach about that stuff. 
This is Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. We are speaking with Keith Devlin, a mathematician at Stanford, who is making me feel a little bit better that I didn't know the quadratic equation because in today's day and age, it doesn't sound you like I need, need to. to. <laughs> well, well, wait a minute. You yeah. still need to know when you would use it, yeah. which evidently the answer is never. <laughs> I'm going to yeah, put, yeah. we should put that into yeah. the so, smartphone and do a test. Just okay? every, we'll, every, we'll do that. Every day it sends a signal to you that says, go use the quadratic formula <laughs> now. It's yeah. available to you. So, Keith, back in the day, I think kings, like, hired people to do their math for them. But now I've got the computer to do the math yeah. for me. I assume the kings never learned math. Do I need to learn math? Well, there's a couple of answers. First of all, there's a, there's a bunch of stuff that it's good to sort of have chunked in your brain to just do things. Like, the general term that's used today is, is what we call number sense, which means you need this general fluidity, facility with numbers. You have to have a sense of things. To teach that and get people to that stage, you certainly have to go through some some practice stuff. Some so, so an, some an example of number sense is, uh, boy, four plus seven is going to be a lot smaller than four plus twenty. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. And and, been, and it's it's the skill we have when you get the change and you say that's sort of wrong. Well, if you you know, I never calculate the tip. I just guess the tip. And it's almost within a fraction of 15 to 17% because I just guess it. I just use number sense. The, the human okay, brain is – Denise, But Denise, Denise calculates the tip by volume. She says, I think it should be this big a pile of no, corners. It's really interesting that you yeah. mentioned the tip because yeah. I – you know, have learned tricks yeah. to calculating the tip. And I was told a couple of years ago that it's nicer to give 20% than 15, that like times have changed. This was a couple of years ago or maybe a decade ago. And I had to learn a whole new trick. It used to be just, you know, times the tax by two or something like a little trick, right? And now I had to learn another trick for the 20%. So, so I'm more, this is a I'm bit- I'm a trick learner. No, I'm a bit tangential. So the doing the math is too hard. So I took it taxi ride recently in New York and it had uh, would you like the tip to be 20% 25% or 30% or enter your own and so of course I do 20% because entering my own was too much work right. so I gave a big tip that is know. why they do it Dan yeah. that is literally why they do it because they know 15 is not an option because people aren't going to want to enter their own so they start with the 20% and no one wants to enter their own and that's how those guys make more money uh, so, mm -hmm. so basically this is computation run amok we, yes. we haven't, we're, but that's not this show. We're not going to talk about the computers uh, taking over people. But no, this is, I'm, I'm teaching. I'm trying to figure out what are the things. So number sense, so, some sense of quantity yeah. and magnitude yeah. Yeah. and order. And you certainly need indeed a, deg a degree of understanding of, of sort of algebra and sort of abstract representations, not least because as far as we know, and this is evolving all the time, as far as we know, you have to go through that external linguistic process to sort of reify things in order to form these precise concepts in your mind. You can't just sort of intuit them. It does need that sort of contact with the hardened world of, of, of symbolic knocks in wait, order okay, to wait, get wait, the wait. understanding. External linguistic, explain what that means. Just dealing with symbol systems on, on a page that, that denote things. Okay. That seems to be an integral part of learning to think in the right conceptual way. You can't just begin with our brain, which is sort of analogical and sort of fluid and, and, and sort of fuzzy, and then sort of sharpen things down to mathematics. It seems as though you need something coming the other way, those hard symbols, and it's the interaction between your fuzzy mind and those precise symbols that gets you to the point of understanding. The point is you don't need to learn in order to execute. 
because the machines execute. But don't I, don't I need to learn so I know when to you need get to the learn machine to, to execute? And even to understand the concepts. You, yeah. it, as far as we know, and, and I certainly believe this, but it's, it's still out there. If you don't spend time dealing with formal symbolic mathematics, solving equations, even solving a quadratic, then you probably won't get the right degree of understanding. You, you can't escape doing some of that. But doing it to, be ex to, to execute it is no longer the game. Doing it to handle very complicated cases is no longer the game. We should be teaching now not for execution, which was absolutely important in the days when computers were people. Now it's not. So we don't have to teach for execution. We should be teaching for understanding. And part of that understanding is this number sense. And by number sense, I always mean that more general than just numbers. Other things that have number-like properties. This is Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. We are talking with Keith Devlin, a mathematician at Stanford, about teaching number sense and about what we need to do to actually learn math. So, so let me – I don't mean to corner you with this question. But I need. I need. He always says that. Yeah. No. I, right. <laughs> I have the bat behind me. No. This. I get this. This question shows up a lot, and so I could use some help thinking it through. Uh, we have kids use calculators in school, and then the fear is they won't learn the math because they're using the calculators. Uh, Right, wrong, wrong. How, how to think about it. How should I think about this? Just get them to do the correct things with calculators. I, I gave a course at Nueva School in January. Uh, I, I mean, I don't normally teach in schools, and Nueva's yeah. not a typical school. But we had a blast. It was a six-hour course. We used calculators. We used Google. We used spreadsheets. We used whatever there was because I gave them a difficult problem. I said, at the end of six hours, you need to figure out how the UPS routing package, package routing algorithm works. You know, one of the most valuable algorithms in the world is UPS's or FedEx's algorithm. Uh, technically, it's a secret, but a bunch of 20 high school students, middle and high school students, after six hours, with my help, but they did the work, reverse engineered it. In the course of that, they had to do a bunch of stuff that they could not possibly have done if they were not at the frontiers of mathematical thinking. But they didn't do any actual calculations, except little scribbles to understand what was going on. You know, basically I said, you're trying to find an algorithm that will schedule, you know, millions of packages, etc. On a paper, let's just do two, two packages going between three places. Just start small, mm. get the feeling for it, and then let it rip on the machines. And with the two or three cases, it was very simple. You just do triangles and things, and you figured it out, and it was sort of obvious. That was enough. Because you, at that point, I was able to sort of motivate and point them to the to the sources to find out about the actual mathematics How involved scale in solving it. that. Yeah, and then they just took a package online and just plugged in the numbers. Uh, but I'm I'm going to push back because okay. I I think and and not necessarily because I believe it. But here here's where I fall apart on this. So I I spent the money to get a nav system in my car. I won't admit it to Denise, but I have terrible spatial navigation. Oh, uh, oh I love. That. I will use that. <laughs> yeah, I, have the, I have that in my phone. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. I'll be picked on for <laughs> weeks. Uh, so I use this nav system, so it solves all my problems. And my experience is, I have no sense of the spatial layout because I'm just allowing this system to do everything, and I've never really put it out together, which means. If that system uh, makes a mistake, right, or I put in something wrong, I can't correct. So I've, I've allowed the machine to do all the work. It offloads for me. 
I'm sort of squirming out of it so I don't have to do any thinking whatsoever. Yeah. Isn't this sort of the risk of using calculators and things like that? Where You mean bli- like blindly? You're blindly following that right, Like I, I've, got, I've got a tested school and they made the mistake of leaving the internet on and I put in the problem and the iPhone comes back and gives me a B-plus answer. Yes. Well, but how is that any different from plug and chug, which just so people know what that is, is I practice this one problem and I know you're supposed to put the number in here and here. I get to the next problem. I'm going to follow that same pattern. How is that any different? Uh, I have some reason to believe that if I plug and chug, I'll learn – I'll induce some patterns from it, that it won't that, – that there's not this little module in my head that's like a computer and it all gets passed off to it. What does our so, guest right, think? Right. So here, here's the dilemma, Keith. <laughs> OK. So, so, so when you begin with the technology, you can begin with real problems that interest people and, and it can be their problems, whatever. So you've already got them engaged because they, they, the question, what's this used for? doesn't arise, so they're engaged. Then a good teacher, as you go through, you can ask interesting questions that will push beyond what you're doing so that, in fact, given the motivation, they can start to do the exploration. I'm not saying people should just slavishly follow the machines. No, that would be crazy for a whole variety of reasons, some of which you've already mentioned. You absolutely don't want to do that. But you you can use the machines to do two things. One, to perform these tedious calculations, which they do instantly, but also to motivate by relating what we're going to, to, to get them to learn to some real problems of direct relevance to them. And then the teacher can just lead them in a sort of Socratic way with questions because you clearly do want them to go as far as they can do and to ask what if questions, why questions, how questions. You shouldn't have to prompt kids to do that. We are born out of natural selection to ask how, why questions. You know, When we have small children, those of us parents, they drive us crazy with the whys and the hows. <laughs> uh, you know, the worst thing we want schools to do is force them to forget those questions because those questions are what makes us humans or one of the things that makes us human. Uh, so just cultivate that and push them in the directions. And certainly, you know, I don't think I convey the idea of someone who's not interested in all of these other things and sitting down and doing things. And that should be something we're encouraging. Don't just follow the answers. And it's very easy for, for a teacher using using technology to give the kids a question where the answer would be kind of crazy if they didn't think about it. Right. And then you can make them think. And you can think, wait a minute, that doesn't sound right. And then, okay, let's find out why. Why did the machine do that? What's going so on? Let, let me just make this very practical. Denise, when your children come home and they ask for help with long division or the really tedious square root thing, you can say, you know what? You don't need to learn this. <laughs> Disappearing. I, I, I echo that. Yes. <laughs> this is Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. We will have more with Keith Devlin talking about math and how you teach it and the best way to learn it next on Sirius XM Insight 121. You're listening to Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope from the campus of Stanford University. Welcome back to Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. We are talking with Keith Devlin, a mathematician at Stanford, about the teaching of math, about what we really need to learn. So uh, I was unfair to you, Denise. I asked you a question (laughs) where I knew that you wouldn't have time to answer and therefore you'd agree. So mean. Yes. Let let me restate in in a more reasonable approach. The, the issue is uh, not that the students shouldn't learn the concepts. The question is, how do you instantiate those concepts? 
is the right way to help the child learn long division to instantiate it with all those procedures that they repeat over and over? Or is there another way? So like manipulatives are a good example of this. And I'm sure when you were in school, you did manipulatives, you know, like hands-on stuff. Oh, yeah. We did. In fact, at my kids' school, they have these um, red um, sticks, counting sticks, and they're supposed to be um, used for counting by 10. And I remember one day they were using red vines. Instead of the steak. The licorice. Yeah, Yeah, the licorice. The the licorice. And um, when you got to – they were counting the days of the months. And when they got to 10, you bundled up all that licorice. And ate it. And, yeah, I mean that was sort of the goal, right? So they got to – it was like let's say it was October 30th. You had three bundles of licorice. Everybody was thrilled because that meant you could eat it when it got to 10. I literally have no idea what they were trying to teach with that except for like maybe it's a concept that you can think – by tens and ten multiplied by three is thirty. I don't know, Keith. What do you? What would be the use of of, of that? That's. I mean, manipulatives. In actually, you know, it doesn't even need to be manipulatives. It really needs to be a piece of the real world that's sort of engaging and familiar. Uh, in fact, there was some very interesting research done in the early nineteen nineties, <coughs> where. And it's called, it led to a concept that's now known as street mathematics, where the researchers went into market stalls and things and looked at kids and later adults, and they watched them doing things, uh, and then they would interact and they would buy things at stalls and things. And what they found was that when people in the course of their everyday lives have to do something mathematical, they very quickly get extremely good at it, and they can hit 98% accuracy, no matter what it is, and, and, and you the kids in the first study in Recife in Brazil, they did. They were doing very complicated calculations. This was before calculators when this was was first of all done. They did pretty down. They didn't have calculators. They did very complicated mental calculations to calculate change from transactions. The rub is when you go to those people and you take them out of that context and you give them a written math test with the same mathematical problems on, they can't score ninety eight percent. It drops to thirty seven percent. Right. They can't so transfer. It's a linguistic they can't problem. Transfer it's to do with the abstraction learning. and the symbols. So but I don't care if, how they do on the test. They can actually use the skills that they need at the time. No, the, that... the, the, I think the punchline of Key Story is that the children who are doing licorice, if you ask them anything about the days of the week or the year, they can't do it if they don't have licorice. It does. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. Right. Which is a problem with – so then why are we using all those square – you know, they have those blocks that you use, manipulatives. So, yeah, so this is a deep question yeah, about yeah. what what is the role of having instantiate embodying mathematical concept in uh, spatial representations like cubes and things like that. So a different kind of embodiment of math is like in video games. Okay. Right. So I'm allowing this video game to start carrying the content of math for me. And so I know you've been working on this yep, and yep. and so the the big problem with video games uh, is is that they often have a tremendous amount of reward in it. Yeah. And so what you're trying to do is basically achieve the reward, which pulls you away from trying to understand how you got it. That's, so I, that's bad game design, but it's very so, common, yeah. So tell us about your good game design. Okay, yeah, yeah. We're one of a small number of companies – uh, startup companies that are maybe five or six other companies, uh, at least one of them from Stanford, that are doing it this way. What you need to do to do it right is the idea is to take the mathematics, find a way of representing it that's natural when you can move things around. So it's, it's, it's like in the process of solving a problem, and you can give people very difficult problems by doing this, they solve them not by writing symbols, 
but by rotating gears and seeing things happen. So the thinking process is absolutely 100% mathematical thinking. It doesn't look like it, smell like it, or feel like it, because we are used to thinking of mathematical thinking as being involved with symbols. It's the same thinking. I actually have slides that I show audiences where on one side you have what looks like a very complicated math problem, and it is. On the other side, there's one of my games that I've designed. It's the same problem with the same solution. It's just that in one case you write symbols and it looks horrible, and the other side you rotate gears and it seems the most natural thing in the world. This is Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. We are talking with Keith Devlin, a mathematician at Stanford, and how video games are helping people understand math that maybe on paper looks very scary and complicated. So let's make this more concrete. The way it works is a very simple problem. I have some gear that I need to get positioned, turned a certain way. And if I have this driver gear that, like, turns one, the big gear, like, turns two. Yeah. And that's the kind of problem I'm trying to solve. So that would be two X, yes, yeah, because yeah. the number of the X is the number of times you turn it. Yeah. And if it if it scales up by two, then you've got the equation Y equals two X. Okay, but my head looking at the gears is not going to go. Oh, Y equals two X. Good. I will tell it's you that right to. now. Yes. Okay, but I'm not even going to know I'm doing math. I'm going to be playing around until I figure out something. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you am know, I learning That's math? what it's like when I do mathematics as a researcher. <laughs> I play around until I can do something, and I don't think it's math because I'm in that world. With the game, you can bring people into that world because it's designed to scaffold them doing that. Interestingly enough, the question then is, when they've learned how to when if they solve our gear puzzle, they have learned to solve simultaneous linear equations in four unknowns. And six, seven, eight-year-old kids all over the world have done that. Systems of four simultaneous equations, uh, you know, in, in, in foreigners, they do that. The question is, can they then take that and transfer it into the classroom? On their own, no. With a teacher, yes. Mm. With a teacher, with some help, even better. We've actually put some, we got a big grant from the Department of Education to build out our product after we released that first Gears puzzle. One of the things we built were what we call digital manipulatives, which are versions of the puzzles where you can also have a simultaneous representation on the screen and you see the explicit mathematics. So when you turn those gears, the equations evolve. Uh When you write in the equations, the gears change. So we can help teachers make the link from solving the problem to solving it in the classroom fashion. Because if you want to go into science or engineering or advanced business or economics, you are going to have to master those symbolic representations. That's absolutely the language for advanced mathematics. If you don't learn that, you're going to be severely challenged. You've done a lot to motivate the sort of intuitive quantitative sense in the structure. How do you motivate the need for symbols? The need for symbols? Yeah, how, do, how do, did you put that in a game or does the teacher just say, you better learn these symbols. I know you can do it. You got to learn this because later in life you're going to need this. The only way, to, well, actually, I don't know about the only, the way I would do it, and we haven't yeah. done that. We're working on that. We're also developing yeah. an online course that would help yeah. teachers and parents. What, and, and, and I've actually started working on those using my MOOC experience from here at Stanford. What we're going to do is almost certainly introduce problems where you will take a problem as it would arise if you were at NASA or some organization and say, here's the problem you have. And we can actually take bits from video, from, 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 from movies. There's all these movies where people solve problems to, to rectify the space shuttle to get Apollo uh, 13 back out right. of space. Those kind of examples, exciting examples where you literally have to begin by writing stuff on a piece of paper because the algorithm's not written and you don't have time to do it or maybe the, the satellite's gone dead. So 
you can find ways to sort of show how that takes you beyond what the machines can do because a machine with an algorithm is constrained in what it can do. People have much more freedom. Motivate and say, here's the only way you've got to do it. There isn't an algorithm. There isn't an instantiation. You're going to have to use the symbols. Thank you for listening to Schools In with Dan Schwartz and Denise Pope. If you missed any of this episode, listen anytime on demand with the SiriusXM app on iTunes and SoundCloud.